Carol, what does ice cream have to do with gardening? Uh, let me see. Let's see. Cows, grass. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> You're right. It's It's been 105 here for the last few days, and I just had to have some ice cream. And so I found a new one. It's called Alex Ice Cream. I love me some good ice cream. Tell me more. Alex ice cream is the best ice cream I have ever eaten in my life. And here's where the gardening fits in. They only use milk from cows that are pasture raised on regenerative farms. And it's A2 milk, by the way, which makes it more digestible. But there's that word regenerative. Well, I just looked up the website. It's like, do not talk to me about ice cream that I cannot get. I think you might be able to get it at a natural food store. I found mine at Natural Grocer, but, um, and it's, they weren't carrying it, but now they are. And so they also ship online, I think. Well, you can get this ice cream. Yeah, I do see that they ship. You can also get it. It looks like at Whole Foods, there's one downtown. And then of course the North side and the fresh market on the North side, they all have this ice cream. There you go. See, you can get it. I can I can do a little road trip and go get some. And this teaser fits in with our book this week. Okay. That's a that's quite the uh, I'll see how you've got it to fit in and go ahead and get this episode started because that'll be interesting. Welcome to the Garden Angelus, where we talk about flowers, veggies, and all the best dirt. I'm Carol Michael from Indianapolis, Indiana, where I have a suburban garden measured in square feet. It's about a third of an acre. And I'm Dean Ash from Guthrie, Oklahoma, where I garden on uh, several acres out in the country. We call ourselves Garden Angelists because we are evangelists for gardening. We love gardening and we want others to love it too. Yes, we do. And we aren't afraid to spill the beans and tell all of our gardening secrets, the good, the bad, and even the ugly. But that's enough of who, what, when, where. Let's move on to this week's episode. Hello, Dee. You want me to tell you how my garden grows? I do. I'm going to take a drink of tea while you tell me. So there's not too much to report. Um, I did some weeding. I did some harvesting, some watering, some mowing and trimming. Kind of a typical summer week. Um, This coming week's not going to be typical. I'll tell you why at the end. But I I harvested potatoes. And D, it was the puniest, most pathetic (laughs) bunch of potatoes. I don't know what happened. But the garden fairies (laughs) actually posted about it because I was too embarrassed to even, even take a picture of it. So, and then I sowed more green bean seeds. How about your garden? Uh, I did some weeding in the beds that face the street, which are always the ones that I get to last. And I visited a new to me native plant nursery that is called Native Plants OKC. And it's down, it's near downtown off of First Street. And they have tons of native plants, uh, stuff that grows here. And that's pretty amazing. And I bought six plants and I used them in a few empty spots that I, where I pulled stuff out that I didn't like or was too rambunctious or whatever. And then I fertilized and cut back a couple of my roses. I'm still doing that kind of as I go through. And I mulched the areas I cleaned up. I did not do the, well, that's not true. When I wrote this, I said I did not do the potage, but I started it. I just started it. I need some more compost. And right now, my compost pile is kind of buried under brush. So because of the trees, you know, we had to take out a bunch of trees and let's see what else. It was really hot and I had a crazy week, but I did work on Saturday and Sunday. Very good. And so you, you were texting me about the native plant place that you ran in 
to very briefly, and you left your husband sitting in the car, so that's why you only came out with six plants. You could have come out with a lot more, couldn't you? I could have easily come out with a whole flat of plants, but it's the wrong time of the year, although natives do settle in better than other things do sometimes, especially if it's the right native. But it was funny because we went to church for the Assumption, the Feast of the Assumption, and um, on, I said, hey, I'm going to, while I'm down in town, I'm going to run over to this nursery. I wanted to, we talk on Instagram all the time. And um, I said, so I'm going to drop you off. And he goes, no, I'll just go with you. And I was like, what? are you feeling okay? Yeah. <laughs> and so we get there and then he tries to just drive by it. <laughs> and I said, no, I meant I was going to stop. <laughs> go inside. Look at plants. <laughs> And he goes, oh, you wanted to look at stuff? And he goes, I'll just stay in the car and keep it running. And I was like, okay. So I literally ran through the nursery as fast as I could, chatted with um, the, the young woman who works there and, you know, all the things. So anyway, it was just kind of funny. That is kind of funny. All right, let's play favorites. What's your favorite this week? It has to be my cut flower garden. It is at its peak right now with the zinnias, the tithonia, the phlox, the gallardia, the celosia, and all the other flowers and fillers. I have a bouquet sitting on my table, and i it's so beautiful. I just can't stand it. Nice. How about you? My favorite thing is the cherry tomatoes, because if I didn't have cherry tomatoes, I'd have no tomatoes <laughs> at all, because the raccoons keep eating the big tomatoes. They literally pull them off and throw them underground and eat like two bites. And it's disgusting. Oh. And that's not my favorite thing. So I'm very happy to have cherry tomatoes. And I know in the past yeah. you said, Carol, you grow too many cherry tomatoes. When that's all you got, it's not too many. <laughs> well, that's true. That was just that one year. I think you grew like how many, how many different ones? Oh, I don't know. That was doing like an experiment. I, I yeah, probably like grow 12 or something. I've got five or six varieties out there. I do like them. I think I have five. Hey, have you tried Evil Olive? Have you gotten one yet? Uh, not yet, but there's a bunch of dark, dark green ones out there. They'll turn red, right? It's No, they turn kind of a orange. They still retain a little bit of green and they have a little bit of an orange stripe on them. Okay. They're not ripe, but they're, they're, they're like dark green olives right now. They're really pretty and they're good. Okay, so I'm glad you have cherry tomatoes, and I think you should do the next, the first quote, actually. All right, here it goes. Nature herself is untidy, and in a garden, she ought to come first, and art with her brooms and clipping shears follow humbly behind. Elizabeth von Arnim. That is so true. So I read this quote, and I'm thinking to myself, People were so much better educated back then. What a beautiful phrase. What a beautiful turn of phrase. That is, and you, when you think about it, you're like, oh, that is so right. You you cannot uh, shape and mold and prune and clip and shear a garden into some sort of perfect thing like you were decorating your living room or something. And that, that takes us right into our, our next, um, our flower topic, which is really about two things we hate with a passion. Yes. And so it's going to be a little bit of a rant perhaps, but we're going to kind of wrap it up with some nice things. So I sent you a video from a local news station here 
where, and I'm not even sure I'm going to provide the link to the video. Let's just say the guy comes on and says, hey, would you like to make your garden lower maintenance (laughs) and proceeds to lay out landscape fabric around his shrubs? And then that's bad enough. Then he tops it off with rubber mulch. Black rubber mulch. Yes, because it can be dyed. And so rubber mulch, if people don't know, is made out of recycled tires. And so Right, and it's really made for playgrounds. Playgrounds. Playgrounds, paths, dog I wouldn't even put it in a dog run, but areas where no. you're never ever going to plant anything. Ever. And th- the interesting thing is this video, I didn't realize it was a video. When you sent it to me as a text, I just read the article and then I didn't pay much attention to the video. And then you said, did you look at that video? And so I went and looked at it this morning and I was disgusted. (laughs) Anyway, so let's talk about, let's just break this down. Let's talk about landscape fabric. So landscape fabric, I have it in the paths of my vegetable garden. It does for a while keep out weeds, but so I have it in the paths. Wait, I have it in the paths of my garden in the back because if you put down gravel and you don't have a surface that is smooth, you know, to put it on, it'll get ground down into the dirt. So keep going. Well, that is absolutely a good use for landscape fabric as a barrier between the ground and rocks. But rocks, rocks don't belong in a flower bed either. I don't think so. I know some people use gravel. But I don't use gravel in my flower bed. I just use it around my um, around my red fountain because it looks pretty. Okay, so here's why we don't want you to use landscape fabric in your landscape beds. It was really never meant to be used for that. But for some reason, landscaping crews started doing it and you started seeing it online and now people do it. it it's bad. It robs the soil of oxygen. Yes. It compresses the soil. Yes. It doesn't really stop weeds past the first year because weed seeds blow in. They do. And they'll germinate on on top top of the flavic. Yes, absolutely. It's the worst. It um, Other weeds like Bermuda grass, bindweed, et cetera, burrow underneath the landscape fabric and sometimes come up in it. And then when you go to weed, it is harder to get those ones with the deep roots out of it. Right. And on top of it, it's hard to plant into. Yeah. If you're going to, if you want to have like, say, a little grouping of black eyed seasons to kind of spread out a little bit, you're not going to put landscape fabric around it and expect it to spread by its underground rhizomes and make a little bit bigger clump, which is, and I picked a bad example because you're pulling that out all the time. But No, I like, but it's true of other things too, like flocks or whatever you want to grow. Right. It just stunts it to the size that it started and it never can move. There's no movement. It also doesn't encourage soil activity, which we're actually going to talk about a lot in the vegetable garden. So basically this is very opinionated, but we assume that people who listen to our podcast care about our opinions or exactly moderately. So our opinion is landscape fabric is a really bad idea in your garden beds. There's no good reason to use it. No, no, don't, don't spend the money. It's too expensive too. Yeah. Now let's, let's talk just a second. Well, we'll talk about the landscape fabric in the vegetable garden in a minute, 
But when okay. and this is really kind of a fabric, and they they advertise it as being water permeable, so that water will go down into the roots. But no, no. And if Not you really. see one that looks like black plastic, run for the hills. Yeah, it doesn't work either. Now, flower farmers use a certain high grade level, and also other farmers use a certain high grade level of plastic in raised beds, like raised berms of soil, and they run it down. And they're very specific about what they're doing. And it's a type of agricultural, it's an agricultural method. That's completely different than your garden beds outside your house. Another thing I thought about on landscape fabric, I got asked this at my talk in Tulsa, um, my raised beds, I no longer line them with landscape fabric either because truthfully, the Bermuda grass just crawls up the side between the landscape fabric and the bed, the rail. And so you just end up with Bermuda grass that's even harder to get out of your beds than if it just comes up through the soil. And Bermuda can climb, boy, it can climb 24 yeah, I, I get asked that about raised beds. Should I put landscape fabric down before I add soil? I'm like, absolutely not. Just put your soil right there on top of the other soil. Yeah, that's true. And in the beginning, um, I did use it in my uh, cold frames, you know, those two cold frames. Yes. Because they're on asphalt. And so I did use it there, but I, I don't, I, I wouldn't even do that now. I don't even care anymore. All right. So there you go. That's how we feel about landscape fabric. Now let's quickly talk about inorganic mulches, including rubber. Uh, the answer is just no. No, it's made for playgrounds and rocks. I know someone who's a really good gardener and she uses rocks because she wants that Dutch look. Um, I don't. And I, I'll tell you a story about rocks. My youngest sister, she lives where we grew up. And in the 70s, putting limestone rock around the landscape was the thing to do. And yep. my dad did that. Landscape fabric did not exist. And we hauled that rock all around for him. And so now she's she's trying to garden in that. And because there was no landscape fabric, that rock just continues to sink down into the ground. And yep. I said, short of having a, bringing in some sort of a bulldozer to dig it all out, what she's done is just done the best she can to to when she digs to try to pull some out. She's put regular mm -hmm. mulch on top of everything. And, you know, she's she's managed to put some nice things in and get some things to grow. But she's every time you dig up near the house, she just it's just never it's never good. Yeah, we had both landscape fabric and rocks at St. Mary's. I dealt with both of them and I ripped out almost all the landscape fabric over time because it's too hard to rip it all up at once. And then on top of that, the rocks, I would just haul out buckets and buckets and buckets of it when I planted. Because, I mean, they must have put rocks, you know, 24 inches. It was terrible. So, no, not a good idea. And Unless you live in, you know, Arizona. But basically, you're just gardening and sand and rocks anyway. We're talking about landscape beds and flower beds where you're going to be planting stuff over and over. We're not talking about Arizona. And we're not talking about, you know, there are some situations where you're doing a lot with rock. And we we just had a speaker at our garden club last week talked about rock in the garden where they would bring in big boulders and stuff. And sometimes around that, a little bit of smaller rock is appropriate, depending on the type of garden. Right. But for your average for landscape. Yeah. No. Yeah. And around a pond, they often do that, too. Yeah. Okay. So then you said in your flower garden, you want decent soil that is well draining easy to dig. And actually on my Instagram, 
and you got, well, they'll be gone by the time people look at them, but I might put them on highlights. I worked really hard in those front two beds and I talked a lot about mulch last weekend because I got a question about wood mulch and this woman wanted to know to tell her husband because he's against all mulch because he thinks it takes um, nitrogen out of the soil. And I said, no, if you don't mix it in the soil as you plant, then it does not. And I said, it's different if we're talking about vegetable gardening, but for your flower bed, there's nothing better than arborist chips if you can get them or shredded leaves. I think both of those things are great. Also your grass clippings. Grass clippings work great as a mulch too. So using organic matter on top of your beds is a great idea because over time, worms and other things pull it down in there. And that's how you get good mycorrhizae and other things. Rubber mulch, rock mulch, things like that don't do that. So you never can feed the soil. Right. And the soil needs to have all of that to become friable. And I actually was digging in those beds because I was planting my native plants and I was showing people how my soil is very friable. And this is not soil I've brought in. This is just my native soil, but it's been amended and amended and amended over the years. Yes. And so the we kind of wrap this flower topic up by saying that there's no such thing as plant it and forget it. You, you're going to have to weed occasionally. You're going to have to add mulch or compost on top. To kind of, and it does help suppress weeds. And like you said, microorganisms and other organisms gradually break that down. And so you have to keep adding that back each each year or every two years, whatever your preference is. Um, mm-hmm. And I'd say, and I wrote this, which I think is really profound, although I use the word beautiful a lot. A beautiful garden isn't beautiful because of the flowers that grow in it. It's beautiful because the soil helps whatever you plant grow to be the best that it can be. Right. And then you asked me a question. What do you think about the practice of cutting up plant material? You cut back and letting it fall to the ground. I've started doing that. Yeah. Especially in the perennial garden. Ever since we watched that deal about the Brooklyn Botanic Garden, we watched that video a long time the, ago. It's not the Brooklyn Botanic Garden. It's the Brooklyn not, Bridge Garden, I think. See, she remembers details like this that I don't remember. Okay, well, the Brooklyn Bridge Garden. Um, that was very profound for me. And so, yeah, I've started doing that when I can. I still haul off some of it because I just have so much plant material in these gardens, especially in spring. But sure, I do. And I also don't clean up the garden in the fall, but we can do that. We can talk about that another day. All right. Well, let's do the next quote and then we'll talk about vegetable gardening. Oh, a garden is a sweet, sane refuge to have. Elizabeth von Arnhem. And we're going to talk about vegetables and yes. soil. And so have you ever heard of soil judging teams, Dee? No, I haven't. Not until you wrote that down. So uh, soil judging teams, the first I heard of it, well, I went to Purdue and they have them at most land-grant colleges, small clubs, and these people are in the soil. But I was looking at, of all things, a yearbook uh, that my dad had in high school, and he was on a high school soil judging team. Well, that sounds, <laughs> that is so surprising for high school. I guess I can see it in, but you know, Purdue is there. So maybe that's why. Well, maybe it's, it's a farm, you know, in a farm community and it's stuff. It's a farming community. So the, the soil judging, they actually have competitions and see who can judge the soil most accurately, I think. And so, 
we we did a bit of the types of things that soil judges did when I took a soil science class. And so the one that you yep. know about, of course, is you pick up your soil and you rub it between your thumb and your forefinger. We're both making that rubbing motion. We're both we're both doing it at the same time. This would be a funny, yeah, a funny video to show. <laughs> so if you get a, a like a long ribbon, that means it's a high clay content. Mm-hmm. Probably needs more organic sure. matter. If it just kind of falls sure. apart, probably has too much sand. And then right. you know, if it's good friable, you'll just you'll you'll feel that you'll just feel like it's like good. I mean, honestly, soil feels good when it's good. Yes. I mean, you can tell. You put it in your hand and. And I, and that's the thing when I go garden coach people, we talk more about soil than almost anything else. Cause I can tell you almost everybody I go visit, their soil is worn out. Yes. They have not done anything to it in a very long time. Okay. So then there's the cup of soil in a big mason jar. I know that one. Yeah. You put a cup of soil in a big mason jar and then fill the jar with water and then let everything settle. And then you can kind of see. How much clay you have compared to how much sand compared to how much organic material, because it'll all sift into layers by weight, clay at the bottom, and then your sand will be the X and then organic matter on top. I haven't done that in a while. I haven't either. And it's such a big garden, but you know, it's, everything's growing great everywhere, except, except where I had burn damage. Yes. The, the fire burned up a lot of the organic matter and I didn't realize it until midsummer. So that's why the potage has had a hard time at the kitchen garden. And that's also why my cut flower beds had a hard time, but I went back in and I put compost in there. I, I put compost on, on around all of my seedlings and boy, it helped. Now everything's okay for the most part. And then you can also do a basic pH soil pH test. You can buy a kit and you like mix a bit of soil and water and put it on a strip and then it'll turn colors depending on if it's acidic or alkaline. Yeah. But if you really want to get your soil tested, you're probably going to have to send it off. And like you said, for a big garden like yours, you have to say, okay, what area do I really care about? Right. If I'm having a problem area, that's when I would send it off. Yeah, and that's actually, when I would too. I would do it through our local county extension service because they, they do it for you. You have to pay them, but they'll do it. And then you get a really, really detailed, you know, detailed yes. analysis. My niece down in New Orleans, she sent off their soil because, um, you know, they're, they're fairly new to gardening in the deep south. And she showed me the report and it's like, okay, what do I do now? And I'm like, you go down to that garden center where that got that horticulturalist is and you show him your report and ask him what you should do here in New Orleans because I'm not really sure what you guys add to your soil and stuff. And it needs to be local, local, local if you can. Yeah. And I think that's true of everything. You know, it does need to be local because I can tell you right now, if you live in most of the state of Oklahoma, your soil's alkaline. Uh, and if you live back east, a lot of their soil is acidic, but Oklahoma's alkaline all day long. Oh. And so we're we we do not have to worry about um things our soil being too acidic. Ha ha ha. No. Mostly what we have to worry about is especially if you live west of I-35, clay. Yeah. Clay, clay, clay. I have clay too, but I have pockets of clay. Anyway, so you said you can check out, if you really want to dig into soil, you can check out the Soil Science Society of America's website. I am so not going there. Well, the thing I would say to this is if you're worried about the decline (laughs) of pollinators, 
don't spend too much time reading about soil issues because you'll realize that within the world, there's a lot of soil problems. And if we don't have soil to grow our crops, it doesn't matter about the bees. Mm -hmm. And moving on, what is the best soil for a vegetable garden? (laughs) So the best soil for a vegetable garden, it should be pretty neutral, a neutral pH, because most vegetables want to grow in those conditions. It should have good drainage, right? And um, you can test your soil if you want to. We talked about that. Um, in my vegetable garden, I bought my soil. Um, I don't test it, but um, I do add compost. Do you add compost? I do add compost. I don't add it every single year, but I do add compost. And um, whenever my compost piles are, and I don't go buy compost, but I do. Okay, so I... I do have to buy compost because I don't have enough compost. So um, if I buy compost, there's two kinds I buy. I like cotton burr compost with um, manure in it. I like manure. And I know manure can be controversial, but I think manure does a vegetable garden good. If it's not fresh, you want you want composted manure. Yes. And if you want to go look up all the controversies on manure, people, you go right ahead. I just go buy back to nature cotton seed hull compost, or I buy, and and it's more local, or I go buy Happy Frog, which is not local. It's out of California, um, but I like their soil conditioner. I think it's pretty good too, but most of the time I do back to nature. Yeah. And now here in Indianapolis, you can actually buy locally made compost. And um, I had some brought in when I had my backyard kind of like the big, big beds established. And I was, uh, I looked and I was just a tiny bit concerned. There was more inorganic matter than I would have hoped where trash seeps into it, you know, where uh, uh-huh. people are, they're picking up the tra- um, the leaves in trash bags and then they're not getting all those trash bags out of there and some of them end up in the compost. So I didn't like that very well. Yeah. Well, I just thought about this. I think Markham's down in Norman has their own compost because they have a commercial where they show them making compost, which is a beautiful, it's one of my favorite commercials. When it comes on, I always watch it. And then you can also get, I don't know if you can just buy straight compost from Minic Materials in the north side. Um, The only thing I've heard, and this is just what I've heard, is that there's a lot of weed seeds in it. So it's not hot composted. So I'm going to stick to Back to Nature, which if you buy, you can buy it at Westlake Hardware here, but they don't know it as back to nature because I had a client go there and she said, they said they don't have it. And then she sent me a picture of the bag because they think of it as just cotton burr compost, (laughs) but it is back to nature. That's the brand. So it's, you know, just try to find where you can get some local compost. If you can, local's always better, but as local as possible. And then make sure it's hot composted because if you're going to do cold composting, you can just get that out of your own yard or you can hot compost in your own yard, which we'll talk about more later. So do you buy soil? Ever? I I have, uh, and I've told this story before. I have purchased soil when I first moved into this house and it's been 26 years ago. He said he had to bring in fill dirt for around the foundation. And I said, why don't you get topsoil? And so yeah, I no had kidding. a lot of topsoil dumped on this property, mm-hmm. which was very nice. It was a, actually eight triaxle trucks worth when it was all said and done. No wonder you have such good um, grass. And, and then I, I, I have bought bags of soil to, that I've 
put into containers and stuff. And uh, but for the most part, I haven't really had to buy a bunch of soil. It's just every once in a while. But then I usually get anything that's labeled topsoil if it's in so. Bags. Yeah, if it's in bags. Um. So when we um when we bought soil, we bought it for the the kitchen garden, and we bought it for my cold frames, and we bought it for the um, cut flower beds, and. We bought manure mix from Minnick is what we bought. Um, he also has a garden soil where he mixes in his compost. But I just love his manure mix. So that's what I bought in the past. And, um, and here you local. can you can buy a garden mix here where they've mixed in like uh, mushroom compost into the... That'd be nice. Into the soil. And so if I was going to buy for a raised bed, I wouldn't buy pure topsoil. It's expensive. I would buy one of the right. mixes that has compost mixed into it. Yeah. There it's all ex, you know, it's all expensive, isn't it? Yes. Anyway, that's our thoughts on that. The and the final thought is the better the soil, the better the garden. That's just the truth right there. It is. And you'll it's be happier. It'll be easier to garden once you've addressed soil issues. Darn tootin'. So is it my turn to do the next quote? Is my turn, but there's a word in there I can never pronounce correctly, so I'm just going to go for it anyway. Idiosyncrasies. Yes, that's the word. Books have idiosyncrasies as well as people and will not show me their full beauties unless the place and time which they are read suits them. Elizabeth von Arnen. Isn't that true that sometimes a book is like somebody tells you, oh, it's the best book I ever read. It's beautiful. And you pick it up and think, what did they see in this? Then six months later, you pick it up again, and then you can't put it down because the time has to be right. Yes, it has to be right. That's true. So speaking of books, we received a book um, from the publisher called The Compost Coach by Kate Flood, and she is known as Compostable Kate. And at first when we you know, got it. I was like, do we need another book on compost? Well, apparently we do. And I think the reason we need this book on compost is um, because Kate explains it in a way that is accessible, takes the mystery out of it. It doesn't talk down to you. It's good. It makes it seem like it's fun. And so right before we uh, started recording, I went and got, remember the Complete Book of Composting by J.I. Rodell and staff. Yeah, and that's exactly like, what I thought of. Oh, my God. This book is from <laughs> 1960s when they wrote it. And it's a thousand pages. This is not accessible. Oh, see, I, this is not accessible I information. Thought it was six, I thought it was 600 pages. No, it's a and thousand. And that's exactly what I thought of when I was going through this was that book is a thousand. Okay. So the compost coach though, you know, we're like, Oh, a book on compost, whatever, but it, it is actually very good. And I, I thought she has a very, uh, I'll call it a warm entertaining voice because that's what they said on she the does. press release, but it's actually absolutely true. And so I started following her on Instagram because she posts all the time about composting. She lives in Australia. <laughs> Yeah, she doesn't live here, but composting is universal. Yes. It's not like it can't be done. It's just they do it at a different time of the year than we do. Yeah, but the, there's this book is completely, you would have no problems. People are not going to get confused. Let's put it that way. No, it's a very good book. It just simplifies it. 
And you had heard of Bokashi before? No. I had neither. And that's where you make a compost with fermenting. I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, it's a thing. And she's, thing. she's got no. the worm farming is covered in depth. I've done that, but not doing that again. Ugh. Um, I'm never doing that again. The hugel culture, which is what my sister did yep. for her uh, raised vegetable beds, which are about, I guess they're about three or four concrete blocks high. And mm-hmm. uh, as that wood rots, she says, my ground is sinking. I said, yes, you're going to have to add more soil each year. Yeah, you have to, but you do anyway. I mean, exactly. even if you buy soil for your garden, the first year, it is it is fluffy, for lack of a better word. So you have to put quite a bit the second year, and then each year after that, you still have to add some because your comp the the compost in it, the organic matter decays. It doesn't matter whether you do hugel culture or not, and so as it decays you're going to have to add more. And I realized I was putting uh, compost on my um, kitchen garden and I was looking at the plants in it and I was thinking, this has actually gone down a lot. And truthfully, I need to dig out my lavender, put in some more soil and then put the lavender back. But am I going to do that in August? No, I'm not. So I'm going to take another, I'm going to go another year without doing anything. So other than adding compost. Anyway, she has an extensive garden. Yes. And the other thing. Page 114. Yeah. The other thing. Yeah. I was just. Well, I'm. I'm a page. That. That garden is not hers. That's the. Oh, good. Because I. I hadn't looked at that part of it. And I was like. So that was the other exceptional thing about the book is she does a QA and a with different gardeners around the world. And this is Charles's. Charles Dowding, who's in in the United Kingdom somewhere. He's in Great Britain somewhere. Charles Dowding is famous. He's very, very famous. So that's his garden. And and he answers. Okay, I feel better now. He answers all these questions about how he's doing composting. And she's got several of those interviews kind of sprinkled throughout the book. I'm kind of excited about her compost turner. Yeah. I've never used one, but that's cool. Well, the other thing, there's a subliminal message in this book too, Dee. Did you catch okay, it? Okay, tell me what it is. No, I didn't. So she's she's in a lot of the pictures. She's always got a big smile on her face. So now you know compon- is, composting is the most happiest thing you could ever do. I don't. Okay, I'll, I'll be honest. I don't. You didn't get that? I I do like it. Well, I mean, no, I totally get, I totally get the message. For one thing, we know that stuff in compost and stuff in dirt makes you feel better. It does. And sunshine makes you feel better. Therefore, making compost would make you feel better, right? Exactly. (laughs) Yes. And so she, she teaches all over. She's in New South Wales in Australia. She teaches all over and. Uh, she calls her three little kids the dirt babies. the The thing is, that's cute. Um, they were they were six, four, and two when she wrote this book. Yeah, I'm not there anymore. But I did that. I did that. I started the blog. My kids were little too. Yeah, that was 17 years ago. She's also got a great section of notes. I mean, she's just not making stuff up. She's got all kinds of references and stuff to articles that she's referenced. So. This this is actually quite the book, and I'm pleased to have it in my library. It's a good book. It really is. It's an excellent book. Yeah. The Compost Coach by Kate Flood. And this, like I, I think I said this, it comes out in the United States August the 22nd, which is tomorrow. Cool. 
people should go buy it. Exactly. Ready for the next quote? I am. My idea of a garden is that it should be beautiful from end to end and not start off in front of the house with fireworks going off at its farthest limit into sheer sticks. Elizabeth von Arnhem. She's talking about the practice of having all your show stuff at the front of the house Mm -hmm. and then just letting it go to hell down at the end. And that's, yeah, I agree with her. I want it all to be beautiful. Yeah. Or so, you know, um, it's, there's not many houses that have the type of garden in my backyard that I have. And a lot of the neighbors, they really, they haven't even planted anything on beside the house. They've got the front landscape, nothing on the sides, a little bit in the back. It's kind of, Hmm. but you know, well, I have to say mine's the only garden that looks like this here in my, in my neighborhood. (laughs) I've heard rumors that not everybody is into gardening. I don't know. I don't know who those people are. They're not our people. <laughs> not really, except except my best friend, Amy. And even occasionally she likes gardening. Everybody likes a garden, but to get out there and get your hands dirty. So, well, and to deal with the heat and the bugs. We're in a really buggy time right now in it's Oklahoma. Hot. It's hot. Yesterday, I had to end one of my stories and say, there are ants crawling on me, so I have to go now. Because I'm telling you, yesterday, I don't know what was up with the ants. But remember when we did that episode about, and we talked about the ants and how ants are disorganized and they look organized, but they're not at all. Well, all the ants are losing their minds right now because they know the days are shorter in their instinctual brains. And so I had them everywhere, all different kinds of ants from wood ants, the great big black ones that kept crawling on me to the itty bitty sugar ants who darn it, you uncover those little things and they bite like the dickens. Okay, well, in one of my potato ants. bags, there was a big nest of Ugh. of little brown ants. Those things were crawling all over. And I'm like, I'm really sorry, but I have to see if there's potatoes in here. Yeah, sorry. Sorry, Don't not sorry. I, What's our dirt? Not day? sorry. So our dirt this week is a little complicated. And I actually went back and read this three times. And I still, I think I understand the basics of it. So... I was watching Gardener's World, and there was a gardener on Gardener's World who mentioned J. Philip Grime, who is actually an American, I think, if I remember right. And actually, right now, Carol is looking this up so that we're accurate. So he passed away, and but he's famous for his 1974 paper in Nature that outlined something called CSR Strategy Theory. Okay, and it it revolutionized how people deal with plants in ecology, but it has it has significance for gardeners and the CSR theory. And this is directly from his obituary. CSR theory postulates the existence of three distinct fundamental avenues of evolutionary specialization, competitors, stress tolerators and ruderals that are favored by different combinations of stress and disturbance. So his work, I had never heard his heard this put this way, but basically you have plants that want to take over, like Rudbeckia goldsturm. It would be a competitor, okay? And then you have ones that can tolerate stress from this plant and other plants like it, like, well, Phlox paniculata might be an example, or... um my favorite blue zinnia, you know what I'm saying? Bluebird. They can handle 
those people and they would be stress tolerators. Now the ruderals part of it, I'm not really sure about. I think they're, I, I, I can't, I can't tell you what they are because I read it three times. I don't know. The point is, is you need a variety of these plants in your garden to get the best production out of your flower garden or any type of disturbed area. So the idea is that when you have a disturbed area, like a, an area that is fire, you know, right. fire or whatever, just flood, just pick some disaster or the person coming in to put in a new neighborhood, the plants that grow back are in these three fundamental things. And, and there are ones that come in really early and then there are ones that kind of take over. And so one of the, and I don't know where this fits in, but in all of our burned areas in our neighborhood, we've had volunteer sunflowers. I mean, and I'm not talking a few. I'm talking about you see burn, and I'll take a picture of it and I'll put it in our newsletter because it's pretty extraordinary. In fact, several of my neighbors have texted or called me and said, what is up with the sunflowers? Did you go plant seeds? No, I didn't. I didn't. They're kind of wild sunflowers, but they look really great against the black trees. So there are black trees and then all this stuff is sprouting up. And one of the things is sunflowers. And another thing is Monarda, our native Monarda. Uh And so these are things that move in early. And I suspect that the sunflowers were spurred into existence because of fire. Because some seeds lay dormant in the soil until you either disturb it or it gets burned. So I just thought that was interesting. And if you want to go learn more about it, we will link to Mr. Grimes work. Yes. And it was just fascinating. I thought it was fascinating. Now, Mr. Grimes is British. He was born in Manchester. See, she, she, uh, she looked it up. He has his undergraduate and PhD from Sheffield University. Spent a brief time in Connecticut, but most of this time he has spent in in um well either traveling around the world but also in great britain it seems like a fascinating guy one of the things that they talked about very was, opinionated in all his work phil was a constant source of novel ideas but he was far more than that he led from the front was happy getting his hands and feet dirty erecting fence poles putting colored rings around thousands upon thousands of tiny seedlings or being questioned by the police over suspicious climbing of urban walls in search of roosting snails for herbivory experiments. Herbivory experiments. <laughs> there you go. So there, yeah. there you go. He also didn't care about what people thought of his theory, is what I read in his obituary. That, you know, he was he would basically he took great questions from people, but if you had less knowledge in the field and you just came up and told him his theory was bunk. He pretty much told you to buzz off and people now use his theory in practice, especially when they're doing restoration. Yes. And so there's a story about how this in 1999, he went to the international botanical Congress was meeting in St. Louis and he apparently lost his very expensive conference dinner ticket, but he just went ahead and, decided, well, I've lost my ticket. So we went to see the St. Louis Cardinals and the San Diego Padres play. And then the next day realized that his his ticket for the dinner had been stuck inside his program, but he thought it was a fair exchange. He was very much into sports as well. Sounds fascinating. Us? It was. I, and, and if you can go back to this particular episode of Gardner's World, it was t- 
it was two weeks ago, uh-huh. how this guy put his stuff into practice in his very small plot. I have never seen a garden so abuzz with pollinators. So if you could find that episode, I'll put a I link will. to it. Okay. Now I'll do a it. quote and we'll do our rabbit holes. It makes one so healthy to live in a garden, so healthy in mind as well as body. Elizabeth von Arnen. She's right. Which is this. This is a lot about health. It is. This episode. So my rabbit hole is I'm in the bulb ordering hole, which is huge. And yesterday I ordered bulbs from Old House Gardens and I ordered some from Eden Brothers. And I ordered tulips from Eden Brothers, which we're going to talk more about that either next week or the next week. Because we're going to discuss how this is a tease, I guess. We're going to discuss discuss how flower farmers and brides have changed the flower industry. Yes. And my rabbit hole. Yeah. Tell me about yours. Well, first of all, you're texting me trying to lure me down your rabbit hole. And I did look briefly and I do need to order some bulbs before they're sold out. But I spent my time double checking information on sunflowers, goldenrod and pumpkins, which I wrote all the family handyman articles for last week. That was my rabbit hole. I'll read your one on sunflowers. I love sunflowers. And I actually wrote a whole article on goldenrod once. That's a complicated rabbit hole to go down. There's a lot of goldenrod. There is. But, you know, they only give you so many words, and so it's not that complicated. Yeah, you only get a few, which is was my difficulty in writing for them. Um, the other thing is I saved sunflower seeds yesterday from my Van Gogh's mix. That's neat. I need to look out. I don't think any of mine are ready to be saved, but I am going to save some. Well, because... The thing is, we may not be able to get it this year because we don't know what Sunflower Steve is going to come up with. By the way, just as an aside, those variegated leafed sunflowers he's been showing on Instagram are just making my heart go boom, 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 boom. So I guess. All right. So what's your garden commission for the week? So it's really hot. It's going to be 105, 105, 100, 100. So I'm only working a little bit in the morning and the extent of my work this morning is I went out and made a bouquet of flowers for my cut flowers. And then I go take a shower and I will probably not do much in the garden this week. I'm just going to be honest. It's too honest hot. Honesty is the best policy. It's going to be hot here. So I'm not going to get much done. I'll probably mess around with houseplants, water stuff. Of course, I'll end up mowing some early morning. And uh, I also want to do some vegetable garden cleanup. Nice. I I did some over the weekend. You know, now that I think about it, I will probably go buy that compost today while I'm out and put it on my vegetable garden this week. But that's it. That's enough on a very, very hot, hot week. Let's wrap this thing up. Thank you for listening to The Garden Angelus. If you've hit that subscribe button, you won't miss a single episode. We publish every Wednesdays at 12 a.m. Eastern Time. And if you listen to Apple Podcasts, we'd love a five-star review that helps us get noticed by others. Could you also share our podcast with your friends? Word of mouth is still the best way to get the word out there. And be sure and check out our show notes for links for more information about today's topics, plus links to our own websites. And subscribe to our Substack newsletter, The Garden Angelus at substack.com, also listed or linked in our show notes. If you do, you'll get a link to the listen to the podcast a day early. And if you want to help support us, use those affiliate links. If you buy something after clicking through on them, we're in a small commission and it costs you nothing. Or you can set up a monthly subscription through Buzzsprout 
or make a one-time donation through PayPal. Thanks to everyone who has done so. It was lovely to chat with all of you over the Garden Gate today. Bye until next week. Bye, everybody.